there. Welcome to the Root Cause Medicine Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Carrie Jones. On this podcast, we go in depth with leading experts from all walks of life to understand and improve your health and well-being. Today, I'm talking with my friend, functional medicine dentist, Dr. Stacy Whitman, whose motto is whole body health starts with oral health. And I was able to ask her all the questions that you have about your mouth, teeth, gums, and even toothpaste. Dr. Stacy started out as a general dentist, but wanted to make a bigger impact on the development of our health starting at a younger age. So she went back and became a pediatric dentist who focuses on the health of your mouth from a holistic, whole body point of view. She's a diplomate of the American Board of Pediatric Dentistry and is a board certified pediatric dentist. She's also a fellow of the American Academy of Pediatric Dentistry. She has it covered. She runs the very successful NoPo Kids Dentistry right here in North Portland in Oregon. It was an absolute pleasure talking with her today is understanding how the health of your entire oral cavity is so crucial to your overall system. I was even able to ask her some questions around fluoride, flossing, tongue scraping, and more. Here's a clip from today's conversation. Dentistry went one way, medicine went the other. And because of that, over the decades and decades and decades of that being the way it is, the general public, our patients just think they're separated. You go to the dentist for anything mouth related and then your physician for everything else. And clearly that's just silly. I mean, the mouth is part of your body and what happens is in the mouth doesn't stay in the mouth. If you have imbalanced microbiome, if you have gum inflammation, if you have dysbiosis, which means cavities, like that isn't just staying in your oral cavity. These things can lead to downstream effects, to systemic issues too. And also just being able to look inside your body. I mean, we are so blessed. We can look in our mouth and get a really nice snapshot of what's happening internally. That's just a small taste of the amazing show we have for you today. Hey, before we get started, I want to talk to you about something that comes up pretty often on this podcast. And that, of course, is lab testing. You see, testing is one essential way to understand the root cause of an illness. And if you're an integrative or functional medicine practitioner, chances are you are placing a ton of orders with a ton of different labs. The Root Cause Medicine podcast is created by Rupa Health, and Rupa is the best way to order, manage, and track results from over 25 different labs in one single place. Thank goodness, no need to create and log into multiple portals ever again. So if you are a practitioner, make sure you go sign up at rupahealth.com to create a free account today. Now, let's get on with the show. Oh my gosh, Dr. Stacy, thank you so much for being on the Root Cause Medicine podcast. Welcome. Thank you for inviting me, Dr. Jones. I'm so honored to be here. Oh my gosh, the amount of questions that I got after our Instagram live on the Rupa Health platform was insanity. <laughs> dentistry questions, holistic dentistry questions are really, really hot. People have lots of confusion, lots of myths, lots of misconceptions, lots of everything around what they should and shouldn't do, or I heard, or the social media influencer says, and I was like, no, we're just going to have her on the podcast and ask her all the questions. Oh, good. I'm ready. <laughs> yeah, people really do have a lot of questions about their oral health. And I think that 
is really indicative of us potentially as the dental community not educating as much as we could be, which is partly why I am here. So thanks again for having me. I love it. Well, let's get started with, to those who don't know who you are, who are you, what's your background and how you kind of moved more into a holistic biologic dentist type of practice? Yes. So I am Dr. Stacey Whitman and I'm a board certified pediatric dentist and I practice in Portland, Oregon. And I've had my own practice now for almost seven years. I've been a dentist for 15 years. I started out as a adult or family dentist, just a general dentist and practiced very traditionally. And it just never resonated with me. I did not have a lot of satisfaction in my career. I actually really thought I was going to leave dentistry because a lot of dentistry deals with end-stage disease. And there's not a lot in the current practice model to get to root causes, which is kind of more of the functional medicine approach. And also just educating patients to make changes and try to figure out what went sideways. Why do they have cavities? Why do they have gum disease? Why do they have periodontal disease? How can we help support you? and change your path so that you have ultimate health and wellness. And so I was treating adult patients and I thought, gosh, the only way I can get really upstream is to start working with kids because that's before things have gone off the rails, potentially. That's where I can educate parents. That's where I can educate the kids to really set them up for success. And so I went back and got my pediatric certificate. And again, I practiced very traditionally. And it took me a long time to kind of figure out, gosh, I just need to really create a new practice model. And so I opened my own practice and it is one that is focused more on functional dentistry aspects, holistic dentistry aspects, really basically root cause, using really safe materials, focusing on nutrition, sleep, how we're breathing and the oral systemic connection, gut health. And we can get into all of this more, but Since doing that, I have been so much happier. I'm actually seeing changes in my patients that I know that will be long-term and they'll they'll maintain throughout their lives. And that's really the goal. It's not fixing the tooth. It's beyond the tooth. And so it's been a really wonderful journey. And I know um, there aren't many providers necessarily practicing this way currently, but that is one of my missions is to change that. I love that. And I've learned a ton from you. So I'm sure the parents of your kids learn and implement as well, even though you're a a pediatric dentist now, but it trickles down. Yeah. What's good for a child is good for an adult. I mean, there's some nuanced differences, but honestly, oral health is pretty consistent and what it takes to have a thriving oral microbiome is pretty consistent, whether you're a child or an adult. So a lot of things that I share here or on social media, if you happen to follow me, it really can be applied to you too as an adult and you can apply it for your children as well. Well, speaking of the oral microbiome, like that was a hot question around, we sort of kicked off when we did that Instagram live, we kicked off about oral health or the mouth is the gateway to the body. And I think that really blew a lot of people's minds because nobody thinks about the mouth. Everyone's like the gut, the gut, the microbiome, the gut starts in the gut or they compartmentalize hormones or they compartmentalize the heart, they compartmentalize the brain, but the poor mouth gets left out. So can you talk about that? Explain what that means. It does. Well, I think we've done that, right? So like dentistry went one way, medicine went the other. And because of that, over the decades and decades and decades of that being the way it is, 
the general public, our patients just think they're separated. You go to the dentist for anything mouth related and then your physician for everything else. And clearly that's just silly. I mean, the mouth is part of your body and what happens is in the mouth doesn't stay in the mouth. If you have imbalanced microbiome, if you have gum inflammation, if you have dysbiosis, which means cavities, like that isn't just staying in your oral cavity. These things can lead to downstream effects, to systemic issues too. And also just being able to look inside your body. I mean, we are so blessed. We can look in our mouth and get a really nice snapshot of what's happening internally. I mean, we can see nutritional deficiencies, vitamin deficiencies, obviously gingivitis, inflammation, dysbiosis. We can sometimes diagnose gut, gut issues too, like celiac and Crohn's. And so it's really important. And again, it is all interconnected and we're learning more and more through the research about the oral systemic connection and how much the, particularly the microbes in our mouths are influencing other systems in our body. So speaking of which, do you see that a lot? Do you see people come in with, let's say low grade, like low grade gum disease or infected cavities? I mean, I know you see kids, but you work on that and poof, other things got better. Oh yeah. The things that didn't even seem to relate. All the time. It happens all the time, particularly gut health issues. Mm. So yes, kids that are having a lot of digestive issues, constipation, eczema, random rashes and things of this nature too, because the gut and the mouth, they call them kissing cousins where they're very interconnected. We swallow about 2000 times a day. And so we're feeding and seeding our gut constantly with the bacteria in our mouths. And if we are harboring more pathogenic bacteria, that is going to have an effect to our gut health. And they were still learning more about this connection. But so if we can clean up the mouth, it can significantly help our gut health and vice versa. So you could be struggling with all these oral issues and kind of doing everything right that you're told you're brushing, you're flossing, you're eating what you think is pretty decent diet, but you still have all these dental issues. Well, let's look at your gut health. What's going on there? I mean, do you have gluten intolerance or celiac? Are you not absorbing your vitamins and your minerals efficiently? So there's a lot that is interconnected. And that's why as a functional dentist, it's really nice that we take an integrative approach that we work with naturopathic doctors. We work with functional medicine doctors and we have a whole team because it's really a team approach to get a patient well many times. When I was at a conference, an adult focused a conference and they said that we swallow 2000 times a day. And so if you can imagine if your mouth health isn't that healthy, then you're just swallowing that bacteria down into your stomach, into your intestines. Like, how do you think that's going? And I was eye open, shocked. I don't know why I hadn't thought of that before, but I thought, think of all the people who don't have really great mouth health. They have low or high grade gingivitis, right? Gum disease. They've got cavities gone wrong. Thrush on the tongue, like no matter what it is. And then they just swallow it down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And gum disease is unfortunately very common. And again, that's inflammation. And inflammation doesn't just stay localized in that degree. It really can be a systemic issue too. And so it's really nice that we're just talking about it. It's it's (laughs) all about patient education. And I've been seeing quite a movement just from the public People are taking more interest in their oral health, which of course I am thrilled about. So I love that everybody had so many questions. 
So a big one, of course, was is gum disease like pink in the sink? So if you see if your floss or brush and you spit and there's some blood in there, some pink in there, is that are you immediately thinking gum disease? Like, what are you thinking? Gum disease. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) Sink, by the way. I don't know why I never thought of that. It's clever. Yeah. So bleeding gums is not typical. I mean, your gums should be pretty resilient, pretty sturdy. They really shouldn't bleed. And so it can be gum disease. And we and that can be from an array of issues. It can be due to poor health, poor oral health. It can be um, due to collagen or vitamin C deficiencies, trace mineral deficiencies, mouth breathing, just chronic inflammation. A lot of times in the dental world, it is due to oral microbiome dysbiosis or poor hygiene. So flossing is incredibly important for your gum health. We do know that gum disease is linked to Alzheimer's, dementia, type 2 diabetes, autoimmune issues, preterm labor, cancer, COVID outcomes, where there was a lot of studies out of the UK and they're still working on them. I mean, it just goes on and on. So flossing is critical. And you know, if you see a little blood, don't panic. It's just literally a red flag for you to up your game a little bit or work with your dental team to try to figure out why are your gums bleeding. It can be hormonal shifts to pregnancy during your menses, perimenopause, menopause, all of that can influence gum inflammation too. You know, everyone listening right now is like, when was the last time I had my teeth cleaned? (laughs) Quickly making an appointment. (laughs) Well, I know. We're still seeing patients calling. They're like, hello. We were last in in 2019 and we needed an appointment. And so it's really important, please, everyone. If it's been a couple years, we went through the ringer, no judgment. It was survival mode, but now's the time to get back in to see your dentist. Now is the time for sure. All right, well, let's tackle the biggest question that came through by far. It's probably the most controversial topic, which is fluoride. Tell me your thoughts about fluoride. Okay, okay. <laughs> Yeah. So fluoride specifically, the concern is systemic is what many people are speaking of, which I guess you could think of as water fluoridation. And so right now, um, the concern is that, and there's many studies, there are 70, now five studies because a new study just came out last week. And these are very reputable, high quality studies. And you can all go to the Fluoride Action Network where they have them all listed for you. And you can read them yourselves. But they are showing that elevated exposure to systemic fluoride is uh, being linked to IQ issues in children and ADHD and other just neurocognitive issues. And this is generally during exposure that mothers have while pregnant or infants using water that's been fluoridated for their formula or in the very young toddler years. And so, you know, fluoride is a neurotoxin. That is, that's not debatable. That is, that is what it is considered in the scientific community. But of course, everyone says, well, the dose is the poison. The problem with water fluoridation is that even though we have a very stable concentration, which by the way, they just dropped again. They lowered the concentration of 0.7 parts per million. It was up as high as 1.2, which tells us that even the hires up acknowledge that we were getting too much. Even though the concentration is steady, the dose isn't. You need to dose something based on patient body weight and also consumption. Like you drink a glass of water a day, I drink a gallon of water a day. 
I also cook with it. I make soup with it. I boil my pasta with it. It's just, it's not consistent. It's impossible to calculate how much every individual is getting exposed to it. Then on top of that, we are prescribing fluoride, which by the way, fluoride prescriptions are not approved by the FDA. Okay. They are not. I know. Oh, I didn't know that. Ooh. I only learned this recently. They are, it, fluoride prescriptions are not FDA approved. Hmm. Crazy, right? Mm-hmm. So you're, we're giving fluoride prescriptions. We're brushing with it, which inevitably kids are absolutely swallowing fluoride toothpaste. It is absorbed to some degree through your oral mucosa. Your oral mucosa is very permeable. I mean, this is how we take many medications, right? We're doing rinses and varnishes. Plus it's in medications. It's in processed foods canned soup or juices that are made in factories that they're they're not filtering their water at these facilities. So it's in natural foods too. It's in grapes, it's in tea. So it's just, it's impossible to calculate how much we're really getting. That also being said, there's a lot of research to show that fluoride works post-eruptively, meaning after the teeth erupt and not pre-eruptively. Even the CDC has said that fluoride works topically, not systemically. So for those of us that are just talking about this, we just want to have a conversation and say, hey, can we look at this research? Can we look at, it's potentially affecting the brain development of our children. And also we don't need to be ingesting it. So why are we still fluoridating our water? And even the editor of JAMA, which is a very reputable publication, has come out. He looked at the research. He did this very, it was kind of provocative podcast where he came out and said, you know, I used to think fluoride was totally safe too. And now I'm looking at this research and I can't tell a mom to not to drink fluoridated water. I'm going to tell my patients to drink bottled water if they're pregnant or making formula. And of course, not everyone can afford bottled water. So it's a, we need to be talking about this. There is a landmark federal trial happening right now in San Francisco. It's the people versus the EPA. And it, it has to do with the Toxic Substance Abuse Act of some 1972. I don't know, I can't remember. But basically the federal judge is looking at all the data. He's his expert declarations and testimonies, and it's not the dental community. It is epidemiologists, it's neuroscientists, it's researchers. And he hasn't made his final judgment yet. He's supposed to this summer, but he has made little teaser statements, basically saying, EPA, if you don't come to me with any safety data in the next six months, I'm not going to have a choice but to remove fluoride from the water. That's the other thing. There's never been a safety study on water fluoridation. It just never happened. Ever? No. No. It was initiated in the 40s and it was just grandfathered in before evidence-based medicine. So there's never been a safety study on water fluoridation. And this is where the EPA now is backpedaling in this lawsuit. And I've listened and read to all the testimonials and the declarations. I mean, I'm rabbit holing down this quite a bit and it's not looking good for water fluoridation. So... That's the quick synopsis of it. I mean, obviously, this could be an entire podcast unto itself because it really could. I a lot of you know moms and dads and a lot of people just in general were like, I don't know what to do. Should I use my fluoride toothpaste? No, it's there. I live in a city that's heavily fluoridated. It's and it's. I don't know if it's safe. Should I filter? How do I know? And you and I were talking beforehand that the city that I live in has fluoride in it. Yeah, and so I have 
zero affiliation to this, but I have a Berkey water filter and I actually bought the fluoride filters that go with it so that I can make sure that the fluoride gets taken out my water. They have a really nice water pitcher. It's called a zero water pitcher, which is quite affordable too. It's almost like a Brita, but it has a water fluoride filter in it. The thing is, it's risk. You have to weigh the risks, Mm -hmm. the risk benefit analysis. So the thing is, no one is arguing that it doesn't help make teeth more acid resistant, especially if used topically. But if you're looking at things from a root cause approach, we are not fluoride deficient. There is no such thing as fluoride deficiency. So we, fluoride was introduced based on observation. It was an observational finding. That is how they discovered it. And it does get incorporated into our enamel and it does make the enamel more acid resistant. But at what cost? And that's where you need to decide as an individual the real root cause of cavities is oral microbiome dysbiosis. And what does that mean? Well, that means we have more pathogenic bacteria than healthy bacteria. Why? It's because of what we're eating. It's our ultra processed food diet. It's those fermentable carbohydrates. It's those sticky carbs, those sugars that break down very quickly, those sugars, those flours, those crackers, those pretzels, those granola bars. That's what it's from. It's from mouth breathing. It's chronic mouth breathing poor hygiene to a degree as well, but it's not, you're not getting cavities because you don't have fluoride. So to me, it's really a band-aid approach and we're missing the true educational opportunity. And honestly, fluoride can't compete with the modern day diet. I mean, cavities are still very prevalent. It's the number one chronic disease in children in the world. Wow. And we again, just think of it like, eh, it's just a cavity. Everyone gets cavities, but this isn't natural and normal. I mean, human ancestral humans did not have cavities. It was very rare. I mean, if you look at ancestral skulls, their teeth are pristine. They have no cavities. They're very worn. And there was some periodontal disease. And they've even sampled the tartar of ancestral humans and they're doing microbiome assessments. And they, there really wasn't strep mutans and these pathogenic bacteria that are known to be the cavity causers. It, that has changed and evolved and shifted as we've changed our diet since the agricultural revolution and since the industrialized revolution, when we started refining and processing flours and sugars and mass producing food then we saw a huge uptick in cavities. And so part of the solution was, wow, this is out of control, this disease. We don't know what to do. Then observationally, they noticed this community in Colorado Springs, the patients that lived in this community had really modeled teeth, but they were hard and they would not get cavities. And so it was observation. They tested the water and they realized it was a very high fluoride concentration. And so they just put it all together like, oh, these patients, these, this community doesn't get cavities. Their water source is very high in fluoride. Let's just start adding fluoride to the water everywhere. And that's kind of how it happened. It's kind of crazy. Yeah. I mean, that's, huh. That's like a movie. It's a movie. <laughs> I know. Except we all live it. There's more to tell you. I mean, <gasps> I, maybe we'll do a separate fluoride podcast. 
We should, yeah, we'll have a whole fluoride podcast. The other thing, this is true. And the problem is when you start talking against fluoride, unfortunately, you get pegged like woo-woo or are you're like a conspiracy theorist or like QAnon. I mean, it's, it's just not true. It's just, this is based on the latest research. And I encourage, again, everyone just to read it, to be open-minded to it. You know, science is constantly changing. That's part of the scientific method, right? But the fluoride that's added to our drinking water, it is not natural fluoride. It's not calcium fluoride. It's not uh, sodium fluoride. It's hydrofluorosilic acid, which is a byproduct of the fertilizer industry. So the... Oh, God. I know. So it's, (laughs) it's captured up in the scrubbers. So these stacks have these fluoride capturing units in them. And it's... You can't dispose of fluoride because it's considered a hazardous waste, this hydrofluorosilicilic acid, but yet our municipalities purchase it from these facilities and add it to our water. And so you think this, no, this can't be true, but it, it really is. This is where we get the fluoride from that's added to our water, so... Well, this summer, when the judge makes the decision in San Francisco, it may actually be one of those opening Pandora's box, right? Like nationwide. It could be. Blow it wide open. 97% of the world is not fluoridated. Many countries have have removed it from their water system. The U.S. is one of the last ones. So this is a very U.S.-centric debate and controversy. And many countries have removed it for ethical reasons. So there's medical ethics that go into here. We're basically medicating patients without their consent, essentially. There's environmental impacts, like what is this fluoride doing to our environment, our in our water system, et cetera, et cetera. And then also the health concerns too, which we're showing not only brain development in children, but also osteosarcomas. It's an endocrine disruptor. So it's affecting the thyroid, um, kidney issues too. I mean, a lot of these have been well-researched for decades and decades and decades. The brain connection is more recent by affecting bone health and kidneys and thyroid. That's been very well researched for quite a long time. And the thyroid I knew just because of just being in the endocrine space myself that with fluoride and thyroid receptors. Yeah, and competing so, with iodine. And- with iodine, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Okay, so now that everyone's freaking out. Don't freak out because there's a solution. <laughs> <laughs> let's talk, let's talk about that. What do you recommend instead? Yes, So of course, for true cavity prevention, it is all about diet. Yeah. So trying to be mindful that we are cutting back on these processed foods, these ultra processed foods as much as possible. Our hygiene should be on point, but I really do want people using a remineralizing toothpaste. And so what I'm recommending now is using toothpaste with something called hydroxyapatite. And so specifically nanohydroxyapatite. So hydroxyapatite is what is in our enamel already. It comprises up to 97% of our enamel. It makes up part of our dentin too. I think it's 60%, which is the layer under our enamel. And it makes up 60% of your bones. So this is a mineral that's already part of our body. And the research is very, very good here too. It's very strong. It's showing... Hydroxyapatite works as well as fluoride. There's some studies that are showing it actually is outperforming fluoride at the right concentration. It's this is also controversial to many dentists specifically because you know it's just always been fluoride, fluoride, fluoride. But you will see more and more hydroxyapatite coming out on the market. We, you do need to be mindful that it needs to have the proper concentration. 
Not all companies have that currently. I like to see it well above 10%. And there's more data coming out that I can offer more specifics as the data comes out, but certainly above 10%. But I do want people using a remineralizer because that, that is an issue. Some people who are leery of fluoride, they're making their own toothpaste or they're using toothpaste that they're okay, but they're not necessarily actually helping with enamel remineralization. And so I just want everyone to be mindful that they are using something that is hopefully backed by, by science and that is re- remineralizing. And is hydroxyapatite safe for kids, like all ages? Yeah, all ages from infancy and beyond. It's all up. <laughs> yeah, all up. Mm-hmm. And you taught me because after our, our last conversation, I went out and bought a hydroxyapatite toothpaste. I'm very proud of myself. What do you think? It, I really like it. And now I know, because I didn't know, you're supposed to leave it on your teeth. So brush your teeth yeah. and then don't rinse, so, which is a hard habit for me to get into because for, you know, I'm in my 40s. So for a lot of years, you brush your teeth and then you rinse and spit. <laughs> no, I'm the same. I get it. So it, that includes for fluoride toothpaste, though. You're not supposed to rinse off any toothpaste. Oh, geez, I didn't know that either. I know. Because <laughs> it doesn't happen. The remineralization doesn't happen like instantly. There's a duration of action, right? So you're supposed to brush with it, spit it out. What some people do, they brush, they rinse because it it just feels better to rinse. They spit and then they'll brush again with a new fresh layer of toothpaste and then spit, but just kind of leave it there. Just let it chill. Just let it chill. Okay. Uh, let it chill, go to bed, carry on. Ideally, try not to eat or drink for like 20 or 30 minutes. This is rough. You don't need to be yeah. crazy about it. But that's how you're going to have the maximum efficacy. So hydroxy appetite, ideally above 10%. And I think you'd mentioned before that some of the even big toothpaste companies that we all see all and have grown up with are mm-hmm. probably going to start adding it in as well. It doesn't mean they'll have the right percentage, but... They definitely won't. I promise you they will not. Because it's expensive. <laughs> Hydroxyapatite okay. right now is quite expensive to source. Hopefully that comes down with demand. Yeah, there are rumblings from some of the big dogs that I've kind of heard through the rumor mill that they will probably have formulations. I suspect they will probably have a combined fluoride hydroxyapatite toothpaste. I don't think yeah. they'll drop fluoride altogether. So that is the other question with topical. So this is what I get a lot from parents who is like, cool, I understand like not systemic, but what about topical? That is such an individual choice, right? So we don't understand how much we're really absorbing and it's that rain barrel effect, right? So what's the cumulative effect of fluoride day after day, week after week, decade after decade that we're brushing with? Trace amounts are being absorbed through mucosa. We're swallowing trace amounts. For me personally, I do not use fluoride because I trust in hydroxyapatite And also I really take my oral hygiene seriously and I try to eat as clean as I possibly can. Right. And that's not, it's not perfect. It's the 80, 20 rule. So, but some people are uncomfortable with that. And so if you want to use topical, it's fine. I don't love it in kids who can't spit. Mm. So do be mindful of that too. All right. Well, speaking of oral hygiene, let's talk about flossing. Yeah. How often should you floss? Should you floss before you brush, after you brush? Does it matter? So I want, I would love everyone to floss nightly. Mm -hmm. That would be your goal again, because I don't want you to have some of these oral systemic issues like Alzheimer's and dementia and diabetes and all of these things. So flossing is hugely important. What flossing is really doing is you're disrupting the biofilm. 
So it's the same with brushing. So you are mechanically kind of removing, dislodging, disrupting the biofilm so that it doesn't have a long enough time period to sit there and cause problems to leach minerals out of your teeth and to release acid. The problem is the biofilm, it always comes back again. So (laughs) that's what you're doing with floss. You're just mechanically disrupting that biofilm. So I would like you to do it every night. Um, As for the order... You know, there's no data to support this, but I think what makes the most sense for me um, is I tongue scrape. And I think we'll get to that later. Yep. I have a question. I tongue scrape, then I floss, and then I brush. Oh, I'm doing it right. Good. (laughs) I do the same. Yeah. Okay. Great job. Yes. (laughs) All right. I love it. I love it. Okay. So then what about mouthwash? Uh huh. Whether it's traditional mouthwash or obviously there's a lot of like natural essential oil type mouthwash or there's coconut oil based mouthwash. And I I don't mean oil pulling. I'm going to get to oil pulling, but like actual mouthwash. Mouthwash. Yeah. I think mouthwash has been one of the most impressive marketing campaigns of (laughs) history. I don't think we need to be using mouthwash. I think most mouthwash is doing more harm than good. Many mouthwashes, they market themselves as killing 99.9% of germs. And that's, that is backwards thinking. We know better than this. All microbes in our body are not harmful. There are so many beneficial bacteria and microbes in our body. And the thing with these astringents and alcohols, they're not selective. So they're going in and they're carpet bombing your mouth. So the ones that burn, especially... I would run away from those. So the thing is too, essential oils, and I get a lot of questions about this and people get pretty upset, but essential oils are very strong antimicrobials. And I don't love a lot of strong essential oils. And there's some very popular companies out there that have toothpaste that are just filled with essential oils. And I'm not, I'm concerned about what that's doing long-term to your oral microbiome. So, and then people will say, well, but you, you like this one toothpaste. So I generally right now recommend Boca and Risewell. Those are a couple of my favorites. They have some essential oils in them. It's their trace amounts. They're doing this for flavoring. Is it perfect? Absolutely not. But to just be rinsing with this really strong essential oil rinse, I just, I don't think it's necessary. I'd rather patients focus on flossing and brushing. Okay. And for those listening, it's uh, Boca, B-O-K-A. So B-O-K-A and then Rise Well. Those are the two mm-hmm. companies. I bought Boca mm-hmm. because I'll be honest. Well, I think that's what you use. And the packaging was cute. Yeah, so packaging is cute. sucked into the packaging. So yes, Boca and Rise Well. It's all part of it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, so let's out oil pulling. We talked about mouthwash, oil pulling. First, explain what oil pulling is for those who don't know. And then what are your thoughts? Absolutely. So oil pulling is an ancient Ayurvedic practice. So it's been around for thousands of years. Traditionally, it's usually used with a kind of raw sesame or even olive oil. The concept is to take oil in your mouth and to swish it around to disrupt biofilms bacterial colonies, things of that nature too. More conventionally, you hear people using um, coconut oil. So you want to use a raw and refined organic coconut oil. A lot of that is for flavor, honestly. Now, coconut oil is antimicrobial. The lauric acid is wonderful in it. That's what I use. So I, I oil pull in the morning. 
people get intimidated because traditionally you're supposed to oil pull for 20 minutes. And it's like, who on earth has time for that? I don't, <laughs> I don't. So our friend Tyler Jean does. <laughs> Tyler, well, Tyler's morning routine is next level. Impressive. Yeah. Very impressive. <laughs> but I... <laughs> Same. I'm with you. I do for like two or three minutes. I honestly will do it as I'm like making my bed and turning on the shower. Like I'm just puttering around and I do do it. And so it can, again, it helps balance the microbiome. Some patients report it has whitening effects. You know, it's probably removing some really superficial extrinsic staining. Your teeth will feel wonderful. It's one of these things. Don't knock it till you try it. Um, don't spit it down the sink. It could clog your drain. So spit it in the trash can. But I am a big fan. It can help with gum inflammation. And patients report really noticed improvements in their oral health when they start oil pulling. Yeah. It, there's research to back this too. So people say there isn't. There is. There absolutely is research. So, yep. I don't do it every day. I'm a hit or miss oil puller. I'll be honest, just because this I'll be at time. I don't, I would, I envy our friend, Dr. Tyler Jean, who's a naturopathic doctor and does it quite regularly. I envy his routine. But when I do do it, I do notice I just feel, whether it's placebo or not, the, the feeling in my mouth and my teeth and my gums is always that much better. Yeah. I know. I know. I'll be honest. I don't love people doing it every day because it is antimicrobial. Yeah. So I recommend only to do it a couple times a week. I don't think you need to do it every day. Oh, well then good start for me. But you're, you're fine, sister. <laughs> Perfect. Well, speaking of teeth whitening, actually, do you have a favorite way to teeth white? Because my goodness, a lot. This is a huge goal for a lot of folks is to yeah. get procedures done or get do teeth whatever whitening strips. Yeah, definitely. This is a tough one because there, I believe, is we all want to be confident and feel good, and to some of us, that's having really bright white teeth. But then also, what is it really doing to our enamel or our the health of our gums or our nerve too. So more natural ways to whiten and brighten are oil pulling, using baking soda, avoiding foods that stain. So your teas and your wines and your berries. I know, blah, blah, blah. Coffee. I don't, yeah. I do like Luminu yeah. white strips. Those are a little less quote unquote toxic. Um, but that being said, if you're only doing it maybe once a year or a couple times a year for a little pick-me-up, Crest White Strips work well. They also make, at, your dentist can make you like at-home trays where you can use like a hydrogen peroxide or a carbon peroxide uh, gel and leave those in. I don't love a lot of the UV, like in dental office whitening treatments. I just... It very common patients have a lot of sensitivity after those. I think it can cause some pulpal or nerve damage. And honestly, mm. it relapses usually in like seven to 10 days. So, oh, yikes. I mean, not everyone says that, but it's pretty common. It doesn't last very long. So, I prefer it's the slow and steady wins the race type of thing. But also, the Hollywood white is not natural. So, that's just knowing like, that bright white teeth that you're seeing on the screen of your favorite celeb, they probably have veneers. Or on social media, it's a filter. Or it's a filter, exactly. Right, like I have, I have a friend that touches up his teeth when he posts selfies. He oh, yeah. goes yep. into Facetune and just gives himself nice, bright, bright white teeth every time. There you go. Yeah, yeah. And 
I have the Luminu in my bathroom. So Luminu, I'm going to totally butcher the spelling. L-U-M-E-N, it's like I-E-U-X or something. L-U-M-I-N-E-U-X. All right. I think. But we'll put it in the show notes. Right. There we go. We'll put it in the show notes. And if okay. people, when, they, when you type, if you type it into their internet browser of choice, yes, make sure you get an X in there and it'll come up. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's an X in there somewhere. Luminu. Okay. So speaking of whitening, charcoal, charcoal toothpaste. Oh, this was really awesome. eye-opening to me because of course I had charcoal toothpaste that I use sometimes and promptly I, stopped using that. Well, no, I think it's okay to use occasionally. So that will help whiten teeth too. Mm. It's removing extrinsic, like very superficial staining. The problem with many charcoal toothpaste is they're very abrasive. So there's something called the abras- abrasivity index. And so basically what does that mean? That's just, it's how much it's going to roughen up or damage your enamel. Mm -hmm. And so that's obviously not a good thing. So charcoal, it is a binder. It can be successful, but I just think it's not something I'd like patients to do every day. I'd like you to be aware that it's pretty abrasive. Try to find the cleanest, least abrasive brand that you can. The one that I like is Hyperbiotics. Oh, well, toothpaste that has some pre and probiotics in it too. But again, I might just save that for like a once or twice a week thing. Okay. Yeah. I was, I know people obviously who do it a lot more often. It's a lot of the big dog toothpaste companies have now picked it up and they have charcoal toothpaste and charcoal toothbrush. Everything's charcoal now. It's a little over marketed, I think. Okay. And the thing is, it doesn't prevent cavities. So really, it's just removing superficial stain. That's really the big thing. Okay. Uh, tongue scraping. Let's talk about tongue scraping. Yes. Another ancient Ayurvedic practice. I love it. This is one of those don't knock it till you try it things too. So a tongue scraper, usually they're stainless steel or they're copper. I think there's also bamboo. But you're just literally scraping your tongue and you're removing the bacteria, food particles. It's kind of the ick, the film to help stabilize your microbiome, but also it will help your food taste better. It just helps keep your mouth really clean. It can kind of stimulate blood flow, lymphatic flow. It's wonderful. So I do that in, I do that every morning and night, honestly. I don't think you have to do that. That's what I do. I think once a day, a few times a week, but I love patients tongue scraping. I really think it's important way to keep your oral microbiome in check. I love that. Okay. All right. Now let's move on to something kind of controversial like fluoride. Root canals. (laughs) Give us the down and dirty on root canals. So root canals... All root canals are not created equal. I don't love how the messaging out there has become like all root canals are evil. And if you have a root canal, you need to rush out right now and get it extracted. I don't think that is correct. And I don't think that's healthy. I don't think that's mentally healthy for patients. So The concern with root canals is very often the techniques are not thoroughly debriding or disinfecting the internal root structure from bacteria and fungus and yeast and all kinds of protozoa, like all kinds of things. I believe there are ways that you can do a better root canal. Those include using ozone gas, ozone water, lasers, biomimetic or materials that are very biocompatible 
currently like root canals and baby teeth, many are still using formal creosol, even though it was recently banned, which is like formaldehyde. I know there's some countries use arsenic. I'm not even making this up. What? I know. Traditionally, most root canals are disinfected with bleach and then there can be bleach accidents because the bleach goes up into your jawbone and causes necrosis. So a lot of the issue is how are we cleaning the teeth? What materials are we using? If you need a root canal, I highly suggest you see an endodontist. And I don't mean to offend anyone if you're a general dentist listening and you do root canals, but endodontists, this is what they do all day, every day. They have fancy, fancy microscopes so they can see all the details of this very elaborate and intricate root canal system in your tooth which you will absolutely mess with the naked eye. But really, there's a handful in the country right now that are using the ozone and laser. And I can put in the show notes too, who I like. So the other thing is too, if your root canal's not bothering you, if you don't have a lot of like unknown health issues, like some strange autoimmune issue or like chronic fatigue or who knows what it is, you're fine. Mm -hmm. I do really like patients getting CBCT scans three-dimensional scans of their root canals every three to five years, a standard dental x-ray will miss a lot of pathology. And that's what happens is there could be low-grade chronic inflammation and infection happening because the root canal is failing, but it gets missed on standard x-ray. So that's my big message. Don't panic. It's not realistic for everyone to have their teeth pulled. I have a couple root canals from an accident I had. I'm, they're my front teeth. I'm not going to go in and have my front teeth pulled out. (laughs) They're not bothering me. They seem totally fine. I will be honest. I actually was unfortunate enough to be friends with one of these endodontists that I respect their technique and she retreated them. So she kind of cleaned them out again and disinfected them using her methods. Um, And her name's Dr. Valerie Cantor and she's in LA She's working on training other endodontists to practice as she does too. And I believe she does virtual consults. But anyway, that's it. I know there was that movie Root Cause and like some of it I thought was accurate and some of it was very fear-mongering. And you guys just have to be so careful with these Netflix documentaries because- No kidding. such an agenda. Like, it's just like research. Who's funding it? Who's the producer? Who like who's behind this documentary, right? So just be careful. What about amalgams then? Mm-hmm. I'm sure you get this question a lot. I have mercury amalgams in. Yeah. I'm freaking out. They've been in 30 years, 20 years, 15 years. Do I have any mercury left? Should I have them removed? Yeah. I am not a fan of mercury fillings. Again, I don't think it's realistic for every human to rush out and get their fillings replaced. It's not affordable. Anytime you have mercury removed, you are exposing yourself to more mercury initially through the aerosolization of the removal process. And every time you work on a tooth, you're removing more tooth structure, you're potentially damaging the nerve. So certainly if you need a new filling, I would not, absolutely would not allow someone to do a mercury filling on you. There's so many better materials out there. If you have a mercury filling that is wearing out, broken, the margins are open, it's fractured and you're getting it replaced, I would replace it with a non-mercury filling. 
One way that you can know for sure is you can do like a, a mercury or trimetal test to actually mm. see what your mercury levels are. I'm all into metrics. So if you get those lab results and your mercury's through the roof, I mean, I do. Maybe it's time. <laughs> maybe it's time. I mean, we trace amounts of mercury is released when we chew, when we drink hot liquids, when we grind. Heavy metals are stored in the body and adipose. They're not easily excreted. That is cumulative. So I would work with a biological dentist on that one. Okay. I personally had a couple really small little like pits that were were alloy and I chose to just get them out because why why not? They were easy yeah. and I have friends that just do that stuff for me. So that was an easy choice for me. But I think if you're really concerned with it, I think the best thing for you to do is maybe to get a mercury test. See what how is mercury being stored in your body? And then if you choose to get them out, you really should find a dentist who practices the SMART technique, S-M-A-R-T, SMART, which is the safe mercury alloy removal technique or something. That just means they take extra precautions, keeping you safe, keeping them safe, because dentists are very at risk for this exposure too. They may have you load up on like chlorf, cilantro, and like just detoxifying agents before and after talk about like using sauna therapy after and just making sure your detox pathways are open before and after just to make sure that the metals are being excreted optimally. Okay. So last two questions from the people. One, you mentioned mouth breathing earlier, and I did want to circle back to that because I did get that question of how does mouth breathing affect teeth? And especially in kids, I got this question both from moms about their kids and then people who go, my partner mouth breathes. I can hear them at night. I watch them breathe with their mouth open. What does that do to the oral cavity, the teeth? Sure. So mouth breathing is a silent epidemic. Mm -hmm. If people are very interested in this, I have two books for you. One is Breath by James Nestor, which will focus kind of more on the adult aspects of mouth breathing, if you will. And the other is called Sleep Wrecked Kids by Sharon Moore. And that's more geared to parents about children. I think both books are dynamite. So mouth breathing from, let's talk dental component. So mouth, when you breathe your mouth, your pH drops, your mouth becomes more acidic, your mouth dries out. So all your healthy saliva, which holds calcium and phosphorus and all these micronutrients, it dries out. And so it doesn't have that protective nature on your teeth and all the enzymes. And so you're much more likely to have cavities. And so very commonly patients come in and they're doing everything right. Or even better is when you have like, for a better comparison, you have two siblings and one barely brushes, barely flosses, eats Doritos all day and eats like candy and never gets cavities. And the other one eats pretty healthy, flosses, brushes, does everything their parents ask them to do. And they have all these cavities. What's the difference? The first thing I think of, I wonder if that child is a mouth breather, the one that's oh. in the cavities. And very often they are. Interesting. So that is what it can do to the oral. And you can increase gum disease. You can get more chance of tonsil stones, um, just sore throats in general. So from a growth and development standpoint, when we mouth breathe, we do, it does change the way our face and our jaws grow. We tend to grow more of a long, narrow face and more kind of an overbite with our front teeth and um, our retrognathic or our mandible is sitting back a bit. And it's called adenoid facies. And you tend to have like a narrow palate 
And basically this creates this vicious cycle of airway issues. So the more you mouth breathe, the more you mouth breathe, the more you mouth breathe. And a lot of this is anatomical because it's actually changing the way the face grows. The other thing is when you breathe through your mouth, you get less oxygen, up to 20% less oxygen. And so that can affect growth and development and behavior. We see a lot of kids who are these chronic mouth breathers or they have sleep disordered breathing or just airway issues when they sleep. They have behavioral issues too. They often are pegged with ADHD or ADD, just behavior during the day. And a lot of it's because they're chronically fatigued. They haven't gotten enough oxygen. They haven't gotten into their deep restorative sleep cycles. And also when we breathe through our nose, we release nitric oxide. And nitric oxide is a very important molecule that helps with cardiovascular health and a whole slew of things. So that's important. Plus when you mouth, when you nasal breathe, it filters the air, it warms the air, it humidifies the air, it initiates the immune response to protect us from pathogens that are circulating in our environment. When you mouth breathe, you lose that. So you tend to get more sick too. So it's quite a few things. So mouth breathing is not ideal. We want to try to figure out what is the root cause of that. Mm -hmm. It can be adenoids, it can be tonsils, it can be environmental allergies because your sinus is already congested. It could be food intolerances. It's usually gluten or dairy, deviated septum, um, inflamed nasal turbinates. It can be sometimes from a tongue tie because your tongue, if your tongue, if you have a tongue tie, your tongue sits low in your mouth. And when your tongue sits low, your mouth tends to pop open. It also, when you mouth breathe, you tend over time, your posture will change. You'll start to have this forward head posture kind of hunched over because you're trying to open your airway constantly. I mean, it literally, it really changes the way you grow um, skeletally. It's once people listen to this, they will recognize it immediately, either in themselves or they will look up from their partner and see their partner has their mouth kind of open mouth breathing. They will hear them at night that they're kind of mouth breathing, snoring, what have you, which is why maybe some of you have heard of mouth taping when you sleep to basically taping your mouth shut so you breathe through your nose at night. Yeah, But you will definitely start to look around in the public, especially now that for a lot of places, you don't have to wear a mask anymore. And you will really see the amount of people that sort of walk around with their mouth open a little. And I'm not saying like wide open, like they're shocked, but just a little bit open. Even a little bit, that's considered Mm -hmm. mouth breathing. Even the little bit, our lips should be sealed and we should be obligate nasal breathers. That's how humans were... That's how we evolved. However, we are disevolving and there's a lot of airway issues now too. That is the truth. Oh my gosh. Can we chronic health issues? So, yeah. All right. Well, last question that I got was how often should people get their teeth cleaned? Once a year, twice a year, quarterly, does it matter? And I got, does it matter if you're pregnant? Things like that. Uh Uh-huh. Great question. So, This is a very bio-individual answer. (laughs) There are some people who are very high risk for gum disease, periodontal disease, and I really do feel they need to be going in more frequently to help remove some of those biofilms, some of those calcified biofilms that like it's called tartar or calculus that you just can't get off on your own. And for others, generally twice a year is fine. I think there are some people who are really on it with their hygiene and their diet and their microbiome and their nasal breathing, and they're just on it. Mm-hmm. And genetics plays a part too, of course, but of course there's epigenetics. So genetics gets, that card gets played more than it should with dental issues. You have more control than you realize. 
But anyway, these patients, maybe they need to go once a year. So I think on average, it's twice a year. Unless you're higher risk, I would go more. I'd go three or four times a year. Your dentist can guide you on this. If you're pregnant, I really encourage you to stay up on it. I personally would probably go in every few, three months, four months, maybe twice during your pregnancy, just because your hormones are going to help. They're going to increase your risk for gum disease and inflammation. And and plus like sometimes brushing is really hard because you're nauseous and, you know, all of those things. So, you know, if you can, I'd at least go in once or twice while you're pregnant too. But yes, I would work with your dentist on that. Okay. All right. Oh my gosh. Dr. Stacy, this has been amazing. Having you on the Root Cause Medicine podcast, I mean, I am all about practical and tactical. And I feel like for the entire last 45 minutes to an hour, that's all you've been. I'm sure people are taking lots of notes, making lots of changes, <laughs> making lots of like, okay, family, this is what we're doing for our dental and our oral health moving forward. So I just want to say thank you from everybody. This has been amazing. I just chalk full of information. Yes. Well, thank you. I don't, it's a lot. And a lot of this is so new for people. So please try not to feel overwhelmed. Just like anything in your health journey, just make little changes here and there. Just kind of chip away at things. Otherwise it really can be overwhelming. So, but I hope it was helpful for people. So thank you. I think they're going to give great raving feedback because I basically took all the questions that I got (laughs) asked (laughs) behind the scenes and was able to lay them out for you today. So thank you so much. Thank you, Carrie. It was a pleasure. Thanks, everyone. Oh, my goodness. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. I have one quick favor to ask before you go. If you loved today's conversation, would you mind leaving us a review on whatever podcast platform you're listening on right now? My whole goal is education. So positive reviews are actually the number one thing that help new people discover the show. You're amazing. I so appreciate it. And I'll catch you on the next episode.